Welcome to the Living Stones podcast. These are the recordings of our Sunday morning talks. We pray that these are helpful to you, so please enjoy. Well, we're coming towards the end of our series on the Tabernacle. We've got two more, today's and uh, then next month, uh, Andy will be uh, speaking about uh, the, the Day of Atonement, which was like the high point of the year in the worship of, at the Tabernacle. I hope you found this series uh, rewarding and rich. I certainly really had my, uh, my, my vision for God and his purposes, for, the, for who Jesus is, for, the, for who we are as the body of Christ, the presence of God in our midst, uh, and all of that wonderful um, way in which the metaphor of the tabernacle expresses those truths to us. So, um, so I hope you've really uh, been able to, to follow and enjoy this series. I'm really looking forward today to hear Jeanette talking about the high priest. And I'm again searching my screen to find, uh, to find her. Where are you, Jeanette? Are you there? Yes, she is. I've got you. <laughs> um, thank you so much for taking time out to prepare this morning. Uh, and uh, we're looking forward to what you have to share with us from God's word. Let me pray for you now. Father in heaven, we thank you for our sister, Lord. And uh, Lord, it, it, it's, we're just mindful of the fact that um, being on your own alone for such a, 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 a a while, Lord, is a great challenge, and we thank you, Lord, for uh, Jeanette's faithfulness and her confidence in you and her trust in you. We we thank you too that as she uh, digs into the Word of God, she you have given her the the gifts and ability to to share uh, your heart to us through your Word. So thank you, Lord, for Jeanette. We pray the blessing and anointing of the Holy Spirit upon her as she speaks and also on us as we listen that we might receive the word of god with gladness we might welcome it and be built up and encouraged in it so thank you lord and we uh, pray your blessing on us now in jesus name amen, amen. jeanette god bless you go for it thank you martin um, yeah, I've loved this series. I, I, I found it really uh, exciting and insightful. Um, and looking today at the high priest, and then, of course, as Hebrews 4 says, uh, Jesus is the great high priest. Um, it's just made me, you know, we could do a year's series on this. It really is, is just so stunning. So all we can do this morning, my prayer has been that you are excited uh, by this. Um, and, and then we'll explore, explore more. We've been looking at the design, the purpose, the foreshadowing, the significance of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And today, like I said, all too briefly, we're going to be looking at the high priest and his role. High priest, the precursor to Jesus, the great high priest. Everyone else was just the high priest, but Jesus is declared as the great high priest. Well, 
you know, we are a mixed bag of people. Some have been Christians for a long while, some for a very short while. And um, so it's easy to just go through and say, oh yeah, high priest and everything like that. But people may be going, I have no idea what you're talking about right at the very beginning. So who is the high priest basically and how did he get his job? Um, now, anyone who has uh, been in the musical Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat will know that he, Joseph was one of 12 brothers, the sons of Jacob, the great patriarch. Um, and you'll not only know their names, but you'll know their birth order too. And what I want to do is, oh, I haven't told you, I have a wonderful assistant called um, Justin, who is going to put up the pictures for me. The reason this is happening is I did a, um, a teaching to people in Florida on Tuesday. And uh, unfortunately, they just saw the PowerPoint the whole time and not me, I couldn't work the screen out. So Justin is my man. So here we are, firstly, um, we have a very uh, brief family tree. And as you can see at the top, we've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had these 12 sons, and one of them was called Levi. So from these 12 tribes, the descendants of Levi are to be set apart for the Lord. Now Levi, if you look down to the next line, had three sons, Gershon, Koath and Merari, and their families were given specific duties regarding the tabernacle within the priesthood. Now, if you want to read their duties in detail, read Numbers chapter 4. All right, but in short, if we look at the left, Gershon's family was responsible for the fabric and the outer structure. If you remember, I think it was Paul Carter who did the outer structure. Um, and all those materials that went on top to keep the tabernacle uh, waterproof, essentially. The next son along, Koath, mm. they were responsible for the holy vessels in the, um, in the tabernacle. And then thirdly, Merari, that family was responsible for all the wooden parts, the pegs, the ropes, not that they're wooden, but you get my point. Um, and the structure of it all. So everyone had a set role within looking after um, the tabernacle from the point of the Levitical priesthood. Now, if we look down, Koath had four sons, and to the very left of the screen, you've got Amran, who was one of the sons. And Further down, you find Miriam, Aaron, and Moses were his children. So essentially, Miriam, Aaron, and Moses were the great-grandchildren of Levi, and they belonged to the Koath family. And of course, we know that it was Moses and Aaron who led the Hebrews out of Egypt. And don't forget Miriam herself. She was a great prophetess who led the women, it says, with tambourines in singing and in worship. Now, if we look at the book of Numbers, thanks, 
uh, Justin. Uh, the Book of Numbers records the grumbling and the rebellion of the people, especially those from the Koach clan, who question the call of Moses as a leader. And, and in chapter 16, it gives this really graphic account of how God was sick to death, the grumbling and the moaning. We had Moses gather all the rebellious men together, their wives, their children, their livestock, and he said to Moses, uh, speak judgment upon them, which he did. And the ground opened up and everyone who was attached to the rebellious men fell into the ground. The ground closed up and essentially they died. Now, you would have thought this may have shocked the people into backing off. Um, amazingly, it didn't. And it didn't stop the grumbling within the clan or indeed within the Hebrew people. And finally, God had had enough and he laid the matter to rest. And uh, he caused Aaron's staff to, which was just a dead stick of wood, to sprout, to bud, to blossom and produce almonds all at the same time. Now we can't go into this, but the comparison of Jesus as the dead stick and blossoming through is unbelievable. So even in the staff of Aaron, we see Christ from being dead in the ground, coming through all fruits and nuts. You'll have to look at that. Um, so God then took the staff, the budding, fruitful staff of, of uh, Aaron, and he had it put in front of the Ark of the Covenant as they travelled through the wilderness as a warning to anyone else who may rebel against the leadership appointed by God. Uh, so we have the Levites to the separate set apart we, and we have Aaron and his sons set apart. So in Numbers 18 God says this, um, I myself have chosen your fellow Levites from among the Israelites to be your special assistants. They are a gift to you, dedicated to the Lord, the service in the tabernacle. But you and your sons, the priests, must personally handle all the priestly rituals associated with the altar and with everything behind the inner curtain. I am giving you the priesthood as your special privilege of service. Any unauthorized person who comes too near the sanctuary will be put And then finally, God narrows it down even further, and he appoints Aaron as the high priest over the priests. He is the only one, then, who can enter behind the curtain to the Holy of Holies. That, on one day a year, the very solemn day of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. 
So the role of high priest was then passed on to a suitable son on the retirement or the death of the incumbent. These didn't have to be the eldest son. This could be the son that was deemed the most suitable. Um, and unfortunately, what happened, um, thanks, Justin, what happened was that gradually this got more and more political. And the high priest, the role of the high priest as it came on, and the priesthood in general, went from being something that was spiritual into a mixed bag of spiritual and political. Sounds like today, doesn't it? Um, so by the time of Jesus, and we'll see, you know, you see that in the way that um, the, the priests and the high priests reacted to Jesus and his message and the fact that they wanted Jesus to die. You see how corrupt the priesthood gradually became and the desire to attain political nous um, really and, and power. It's a power-led thing, but started off with Aaron as something deeply spiritual, appointed and anointed by God. So we have now Aaron as the high priest amongst the priests. Uh, and that essentially, in five or ten minutes, is, is how the high priest gets his job and um, where it began. Really. Now we need to look at the high priest Rose. Um, that's my phone, which I thought was put on silence, but there you go. Um, the High Priest Road. Now, everything we have seen in this whole series of the tabernacle, that there is nothing there by accident. Everything has a purpose. And that's why so much is written about how things are made, the measurements, everything was specific. And it's the same with the high priest's garments now. So what we're going to do is watch a seven-minute video. Um, now, look, the Americans in general love the King James Version. Um, I think they think God is like Shakespeare. Uh, but they like the King James Version. And you are going to have this read to you in archaic King James. You're also going to have the sound occasionally of angelic voices behind the narrator. But I don't want this to put you off because it is visually really helpful as to what the high priest wore. So if my gorgeous glamorous assistant could play it, that'd be wonderful. And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate and an ephod and a robe and a broidered coat, a mitre and a girdle. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and of purple, of scarlet and fine twined linen with cunning work. 
It shall have the two shoulder pieces thereof joined at the two edges thereof, and so it shall be joined together. And the curious girdle of the ephod which is upon it shall be of the same, according to the work thereof, even of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen. And thou shalt take two onyx stones and grave on them the names of the children of Israel, six of their names on one stone and the other six names of the rest on the other stone according to their birth. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, shalt thou engrave the two stones with the names of the children of Israel. Thou shalt make them to be set in ouches of gold. And thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of memorial unto the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for a memorial. And thou shalt make ouches of gold and two chains of pure gold at the ends. Of wreathen work shalt thou make them and fasten the wreathen chains to the ouches. And thou shalt make the breastplate of judgment with cunning work. After the work of the ephod thou shalt make it, of gold, of blue, and of purple, and of scarlet, and of fine twined linen shalt thou make it. Four square it shall be, being doubled. A span shall be the length thereof, and a span shall be the breadth thereof. And thou shalt set in it settings of stones, even four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and a carbuncle. This shall be the first row. And the second row shall be an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row a ligure, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row a beryl, and an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold in their enclosings. And the stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet. Every one with his name shall they be according to the twelve tribes. And thou shalt make upon the breastplate chains at the ends of wreathen work of pure gold. And thou shalt make upon the breastplate two rings of gold, and shalt put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. And thou shalt put the two wreathen chains of gold in the two rings which are on the ends of the breastplate. And the other two ends of the two wreathen chains thou shalt fasten in the two ouches, and put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod before it. And thou shalt make two rings of gold, and thou shalt put them upon the two ends of the breastplate in the border thereof, which is in the side of the ephod inward. And two other rings of gold thou shalt make, and shalt put them on the two sides of the ephod underneath, toward the forepart thereof, over against the other coupling thereof, above the curious girdle of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastplate by the rings thereof unto the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue, that it may be above the curious girdle of the ephod, and that the breastplate be not loosed from the ephod. And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart when he goeth in unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. And thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be upon Aaron's heart when he goeth in before the Lord. And Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. And thou shalt make the robe of the ephod all of blue, and there shall be an hole in the top of it in the midst thereof. It shall have a binding of woven work round about the hole of it, 
as it were the whole of an habergeon, that it be not rent. And beneath, upon the hem of it, thou shalt make pomegranates of blue and of purple and of scarlet round about the hem thereof, and bells of gold between them round about, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe round about. And it shall be upon Aaron to minister, and his sound shall be heard when he goeth in unto the holy place before the Lord, and when he cometh out, that he die not. And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold, and grave upon it like the engravings of a signet, Holiness to the Lord. And thou shalt put it on a blue lace, that it may be upon the mitre, upon the forefront of the mitre it shall be. And it shall be upon Aaron's forehead, that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel shall hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall be always upon his forehead, that they may be accepted before the Lord. And thou shalt embroider the coat of fine linen, and thou shalt make the mitre of fine linen, and thou shalt make the girdle of needlework. And for Aaron's sons thou shalt make coats, and thou shalt make for them girdles, and bonnets shalt thou make for them, for glory and for beauty. And thou shalt put them upon Aaron thy brother and his sons with him, and shalt anoint them, and consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness, from the loins even unto the thighs they shall reach. And they shall be upon Aaron and upon his sons when they come in unto the tabernacle of the congregation, or when they come near unto the altar to minister in the holy place, that they bear not iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever unto him and his seed after him. helps I know the I mean you know a bonnet it's not the kind of phrase we use now for a turban but a nice bonnet um, but I hope the visual helps you just grasp that and, and do read Exodus 28 yourself in another translation um, and, and keep that visual in mind so what I'm going to do is now just look at a few of these um, these garments um, in slightly more detail. So thank you, Justin. You can open up the next picture. That's it, that'll do, yep. So we know from Exodus 28 that um, both the priests, so in this case Aaron, and Aaron himself, they did wear Three of the garments were the same, they all wore the same. That um, white linen breeches, the linen coat, and the white girdle uh, around basically the belt. Um, it was woven without a seam, and that's symbolic of purity and of righteousness, along obviously with the 
The next thing that was put on, and now we get to the high priest only, was the robe of the ephod. And that's the blue robe that you've got there in, in the front. Um, and that blue is a symbolic of the heavens. Again, it's woven without a seam. And the word robe, by all accounts, this was the first time that the word robe had ever been used in the Bible. Um, and it signifies authority and kingship. The golden bells, remember, that were sewn around, they speak of testimony. The pomegranates speak of fruitfulness. And throughout the Bible, pomegranates mean fruitfulness because if you ever slice open a pomegranate, of course, it's full of seeds. So that always, when you get, and um, when they build the temple later on and they carve pomegranates in the cornice of the temple, it's because of fruitfulness. Um, so you have there um, the bells and the pomegranate of equal number around the hem of the high priest. And that's to show that one's testimony and one's fruitfulness go hand in hand. Of course, when it comes to Jesus, the high priest, his testimony and fruitfulness are combined together. So we come to the ephod. Now, we've come across this description before. Um, in Exodus 26, Moses is told to make the material of the tabernacle. It says in Exodus 26, 1, Make the tabernacle with ten curtains of finely twisted linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarn with cherubim woven into them by a skilled worker. So we have the curtains around the internal curtains of the tabernacle and the curtain that separates the holy place from the most holy place. So again, Exodus 26, 31, it says, and the large curtain that separated them was also made of the same fabric. So what we've got here is that the high priest's ephod was not considered as his personal clothing, but as a sacred garment in keeping with the tabernacle furnishings, the wall, and the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. So it was not his clothing, it was representative of um, something that was altogether holy, separate, and the dwelling place of God. So what do these colours signify? Well, we've already said blue, um, all things heavenly, the white, the purity of God and his complete victory over darkness. The scarlet thread in there, which we know sometimes is sin, um, but for the most part denotes the shed blood through sacrifice. And then we have the gold thread that's run throughout it, God's holiness, divine nature, and his majesty. So these set Threads 
were all woven together to form one garment worn by one man, the high priest. And he could only wear this when he was in the sanctuary and serving. And what is interesting is that his, the Yom Kippur, when he was allowed into the Holy of Holies, he did not wear that outfit. He stripped down, as it were, to the basic white that you see on the left of a regular priest. So he came in to the Holy of Holies dressed in white. Next picture, thanks, uh, Justin. Now, the guy actually wasn't this fat. I had blowing up wide. <laughs> he was slimmer than this in the original picture. Um, but the next thing I want, this shows better, the thing is the girdle, the belt around the waist. That phrase, gird up your loins, comes from this. It's a well-known practice uh, and went through all of the ancient world of um, when there was work to do, they girded up their long gowns and this long uh, sash, belt, whatever, tied up all this uh, material so that their limbs were free to work while they were working in a boat, working in a field or whatever. Um, and the girdle, the linen girdle or the belt, it speaks of service. So the high priest's girdle was not made of white, but was made again of the same material that, that is the material for the internal tabernacle, the separation between the holy place and the most holy place. And here you have it, the belt of service around the high priest. And of course, it was attached to the ephod. So what we've got here is that service was never far from righteousness. Next one. So if you look at the picture on the left, you've got the two engraved stones, if you remember. Um, and on each shoulder, you've got six of the tribes written on each shoulder. And the shoulder, of course, symbolizes strength. It symbolizes security. Um, and of course, it wasn't the people's strength or the people's security, but that of being chosen and secure in God himself. And I was reminded um, the, the well-known passage that we have at Christmas of Isaiah 9, the prophecy about Jesus. And it says, and the government will be on his shoulders. And of course, if you think Revelation, we've got the elders around the, the, uh, the throne, but we've also got the New Jerusalem and the names there of the tribes too. So the government is on the shoulders of the high priest. On our right, we've got the breastplate. The breastplate of judgment, it's called, um, and again, same material as the ephod, 
purpose for that holy, that, that set apart material, as it were. But we've got precious stones now. And on these precious stones was again engraved the name of every tribe. The breastplate worn over the heart of the high priest. There was his seat of perfection. This indicated that, uh, that, that the, uh, God not only carried his children securely on his shoulders, but also kept them close to his heart. And this was what the high priest was symbolizing here. I'm reminded in uh, Deuteronomy 33:12, where it says, let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long. And the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. So you've got the authority and you've got the affection that the high priest is carrying, symbolic of, of, uh, of God himself. Back to you, fat man. Uh, within the pockets then, um, Actually, if you go, no, let me, yes, we'll go to the mitre or the bonnet on the top. So as, as King James puts, turban basically is what we would say. It was white, again, to signify purity. And apparently a hat worn in worship, in public worship, was the sign of humility and subjection. So it's saying here, the high priest, although above all others, is subject, humble before God, obedient to God. So we again have the high priest wearing a hat of humility. The gold plate tied around the mitre had the words, holiness to the Lord. The priesthood, as we saw at the beginning, was set apart by God for the purposes of God. And this was his unique position, the high priest, as the mediator between the people and God. Israel was to obey the words of Aaron and Moses as though obeying God himself. And then within the pockets of the breastplate, we have the two stones, the Urim and the thumb. Um, the Bible doesn't say too much about these stones. Thank you, Justin. Um, except that they were to seek guidance from, from God. Um, so we have a dark one and a white one. They were both small. They were both equally smooth. Thank you. They were both equally smooth um, and same size, same shape, equally smooth. So, so the uh, high priest had him within that pocket in, in the, um, the breastplate of judgment. And when they wanted to, when something was in dispute and they couldn't decide what to do, the high priest would put his hands in there, shuffle them, 
pick any stone. Um, and whatever came out, the white stone was yes, God says yes. Uh, and the black stone was God says no. Now, we kind of think how um, crude a decision making, decision making is this. But it is indicative of seeking God's word as the definitive in decision making. And um, what appears crude is actually what we're called to do. And you've got to hear the word of God. And who is Jesus? John 1 verses 1 to 2. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Here we have in the pocket of the judgment, you can close them off now, um, Justin. Lovely. So what we've got here in, in the pocket of judgment is the word of God. Incredible, isn't it? And, and you can go on and on and on about this. But what's, we know that Aaron, the priest called by God, set apart from others, but still fallible. Still, um, no matter how committed he was, still sinned before God. And therefore he had to make sacrifice for his own sin before he could then make sacrifices for the sin of the people. And that is why, inevitably, year after year, this sacrifice had to be repeated because the high priest, however holy and called by God, was a sinful, fallible man. And of course, it's at this point that everything points towards Jesus. And the first 10 chapters of the book of Hebrews um, is written to indicate that Jesus is far above anything that's come or anyone that's come before. So verses chapter, chapters 1 to 3 of Hebrews addresses his superiority over the angels and over Torah, the book of the law. The chapters 3 to 4 means that Jesus offers more than Moses himself and that promise into the promised land, the land um, set apart for God's people. Chapters five to seven address the issue of priesthood and also explains about Melchizedek, which we haven't got time to this morning, but it's there. And then chapters eight to 10 of Hebrews proves that Jesus is the acceptable sacrifice and the bearer of a new covenant. You see, we read that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of God. 
So in Jesus, we see the combination of humility and glory. Remember the hat of the high priest? Um, Jesus is morally flawless, tempted in all things, but without sin. And Jesus' death was acceptable to God as the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice once and for all. I encourage you that whilst this is all fresh in your mind, to read in one go, I give it again this morning, if you can, the whole of Hebrews. If that's a bit daunting for you, can I encourage you Hebrews 4 to 10? And if that's too much, do 7 to 10. And if, you know, reading is not a great passion, then please download the new version of the Bible, click on NIVBK, and have my mate, David Suchet, read it to you as you're following the Bible. Right? But whilst this is fresh, read through again who Jesus is as the great high priest. You see, God was the reason why God was so particular about how to build things what to wear, what to, and everything like that. It wasn't because he was pernickety and wanted to make life difficult. It's because this was the earthly shadow of heaven's reality. So when Jesus died and went to the curtains and entered in as the great high priest into the Holy of Holies, he didn't enter into the shadow, the temple. He entered into heaven itself and that is why everything uh, Moses was told most carry out because of it foreshadowing the reality of heaven you see sinless throughout life Jesus became sin on the cross therefore he was the perfect sacrifice he fulfilled all the statutes of the law that no one else Therefore, he is holy unto the Lord. As prophesied through the line of David, he is the definitive and the everlasting king. And now he is seated at the right hand of God. He is the supreme mediator, always interceding for. Everything that the high priest did on earth Completely, absolutely, and totally fulfilled by Christ himself. He created the new covenant, and the new covenant means a new high priest. You can read about that in Melchizedek in Hebrews. You see, in chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews quotes from the prophet Jeremiah reminding the readers that Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. So it uh, says the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts 
and I will write them on their mind. Then he adds, their sinless and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. And that is why when Jesus died on Good Friday, it says the temple curtain, the curtain that separated the uh, holy place from the most holy place, remember all that woven stuff, it says was rent from top to bottom. This was the supernatural act because Jesus fulfilled everything. The great high priest, and it meant that we can now enter in and remain in the most open relationship with and dwelling with God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you just for this taste of the reality of Jesus, how he fulfilled everything in order that we may walk through unhindered into the dwelling place of God. And I thank you that through your spirit, you now dwell in us. The whole thing is just unbelievable, and yet it's true. Lord, may we just mull over this, that we get a new excitement, a new understanding of who you are, what you did, and who we are in Christ. Just ask that in the Son's precious name. Amen.